Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. When I'm planning worship, I'm like, all right, it's Epiphany, we're going to do We Three Kings, let's go. And then after this whole week, all right, and it's January 7th, and it's been a long, like the way the calendar has fallen, it's just a long kind of 12 days of Christmas, if you will. And we open up the hymnal, and we go to sing We Three Kings, and like, I'm telling you, like this morning, I'm just having a, oh, we're still, we're still doing this? We're still doing, we got one more of these to go? Like, I felt that a little bit. Maybe you have as well. I know sometimes people are like, oh, I'm just, I'm ready to kind of, I'm ready to kind of put this season away. It's the first Sunday of the new year. Let's, let's move on. I, I only tell you this to say that I understand where you're coming from. And this may be actually the way the calendar falls, the longest that we'd go and kind of stretch in this season out. But the witness of the church from generation to generation wisely encourages us to go all the way to the end. See it through. Don't quit before the end. Because for all the conviction of Mary and Joseph, for all the nostalgia of the stable, for all the earnestness of the shepherds, for all the glory of the angels, I suspect that this moment in the church's life, in 2024, as we set off into a new year, I suspect that the message for the church out of this Christmas time, the most important may be actually be the lesson of the Magi. That is my conviction today as we set out on this journey together. And so there's no sermon title in here, but I want to suggest that my sermon title today might be something along the lines of a final story and a first principle. A final story and a first principle. Of course, you know this story, right? Like every kid from this tall up knows this story, and it plays out right in front of the pulpit here. That these wise men, we call them, come from somewhere in the east, And we believe them to be some kind of intellectual elite. They obviously had time and space to watch for signs. To the best of our historians' guesses, they were Zoroastrian practitioners from Persia. And that is one of my favorite sentences I will say all year long from this pulpit. It's so much fun to say Zoroastrian practitioners from Persia. You can go home and look up Zoroastrianism. It's still practiced today. It's one of the very oldest religions in the world still. Out, predating Christian by generations and generations. But the point of this, of course, is that they are Gentiles, not Jews. And just by that fact alone, they have the distinction of being the very first Gentiles, to the extent of our knowledge, to worship the Christ. And in doing so, these Gentiles coming and worshiping, in that act, they foreshadow the billions and billions of Gentiles who will follow suit, which includes, for I suspect all of us, you and me. We are the heirs of the wise men. And here in this, in this brief story, we have the first glimpse that this child is not coming just to save a nation or a religion or a people group. This child is coming to bring a worldwide salvation in Christ. The salvation he brings is global, and we make global claims on how God sees the world and how God acts. And in fact, it was Isaiah who first saw this. He says, arise, shine, for your light has come, anticipating this star, saying, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. 
said, nations will come, which is a bold statement from such a tiny, and if you'll permit me, insignificant group in the ancient world as the Jews to say that your king would be the king of all, that nations would pour in. It's a bold claim by Isaiah, but he saw it first, and the wise men carried it out. This salvation of Christ is for everyone. And so today is a universal call. This child is the one who is bringing a new dawn for all humanity. He is a herald of a new day for us all. But their testimony runs deeper than that. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. A star rising is one thing. And we could spend a lot of time trying to figure out what happened. That used to interest me. I'm not sure that it does so much anymore. Like, let's just roll with the story. There was a star that rises. But this star, so to speak, had been rising inside the hearts of the Magi since before it appeared. These Magi are well acquainted with night. Think about that. They're observing and watching. They are well acquainted with the night. They had been watching, seeking, observing, paying close attention to what was going on in the darkness. Many a long night. Do you see anything, fellas? No. But they got up the next night. Do you see anything, fellas? No. Well acquainted with night. But they are are that way because they have a spirit of curiosity and wonder. What's going on? Let's look for what is happening. Their lives were oriented towards paying attention to the details. and, And when you do that, you see the things that are out of place. That star looks weird. What's going on? And all of a sudden, they have a mission. So when the sign shows itself, this star rising, this glimmer of light in the midst of the darkness, they were prepared to see it. And in seeing it, they set off on this long journey of discovery. No easy journey, but it's a journey driven not by obligation. It's a a journey driven by passion. It is an act of the will. Not an act of their feelings. The Bible wastes little time on feelings. Rather, it's a decision they make with intention and intensity towards a desired end. They see a sign and said, let us go find this child. And in that choice, they revealed salvation for the world. And so by strength of will, paying attention in the dark, seeing the light break forth before them, they endure this long journey from Persia to Jerusalem. It's not an easy journey. It's not jump on 95 and you'll be there in two hours. It's a long, painful, dusty journey. And they're elite, so they're a little uncomfortable. But when they arrive, here's what we hear them say. Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. Put another way, we have come to worship him. And that is the critical thing, is it not? Why are they there? Why did they come all this way? They did not come to investigate. They did not come to inquire. They did not come to report. Neither do we get any sense in this story at all that the reason they're there is because of some kind of political or religious maneuvering. Otherwise, they would have been far more open and honest with Herod. They would have accommodated Herod and understood what he was saying. No, they are not interested in anything except to worship. They did not come to Bethlehem as, Bethlehem as journalists or academics. They came as worshipers. 
They didn't come to stand outside of the manger and observe and see what was going on. As if if Jesus and his family was in a laboratory for them to take notes on. They didn't come to evaluate the reality or, or judge the truthfulness of these claims. Their long waiting and curiosity and observing and the long journey brought them here not to watch this thing unfolding, but rather to participate in it. They came to bow down, do homage, to give gifts, to worship. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. You can learn a lot of things about Jesus in an academic sense. I spent four years in college doing uh, doing a minor in religion. I spent seven years in seminary. I've done 11 years of academic exploring of Jesus. And you can learn a lot. And it's fascinating. And you can come as an investigator. And you can investigate these claims. You can ask all the questions in the world that you want. But you will never experience Christ until you come as a worshiper. You will never understand Christ until you are willing to come and to be personal with yourself, to be face-to-face, an act of the will. I want to see Christ. As long as we seek to stand away and evaluate Christ, he will frustrate us. This, of course, is Herod's problem. But you cannot understand Christ until you come to participate in Christ, to experience Christ. And the only experience of Christ is when we make an act of the will to worship. This bothers some of us. Like, that's not fair. Please prove it to me, then I'll worship. Show me the truth of these claims, and then I will make the investment. And for so many of us, we're going, there's so little of my will left. This world strips us of our will in so many ways. It demands our will in work and in family and in hobbies and in work and in all these different ways. And we're like, I have so little will left. I can't spend it on something that I'm not sure of. I get that. But that is not the way of God. The gospel is not a proof or an argument or a set of rules, the gospel is nothing more than an announcement, a proclamation of good news, of great joy for all people. And when it is proclaimed faithfully, there is, there is within it the ability to believe it and to participate in it. The only acceptable response to the gospel is not investigation or proof, but worship. So what do we mean by worship? And we use this word church, we throw it around all the time. Sometimes we mean an event, the event that we're currently sitting in. Sometimes we mean a committee. Sometimes we mean a ritual. Sometimes we mean a liturgy. Sometimes we mean a music style. And there are many who will make arguments that what worship really is is this, this, or this. But I say to you that the environments we create, whether it's Sunday morning, Wednesday morning, a small group, a a conference, wherever you go, the environments we create are only a stage where worship can take place. Because it can take place, I believe it's entirely possible to do a full church service, do all the right things, say all the right prayers, sing all the right songs, and still it never become worship. Why? Because worship is an act of the will to pay homage to Christ. 
Worship is an act of the will that chooses to bring gifts to Christ. The most important gift we bring, ourselves. Worship is aimed not at getting something, but in giving something. Why? Because Christ is worthy to be praised. So when we do church, all we can do is provide opportunities for worship. We do that in singing and in praying. We do that in bread and wine. We do that in water. We do that in greeting. We do that in listening to the word. We do that in confession. But all of these are nothing more than opportunities because they require our will, our very selves. Not an act of feeling. Don't confuse will with feeling. We don't have to feel it. Although I've seen people have a rush of emotion that kind of left them in the same place they were before they started. Feelings are important in faith, but they are fickle. No, no, no. We have to choose worship. It is an act of the will, not of our emotions. And we are called to get involved in it. And only when we have an act of the will, only when we choose to worship, do we have that experience of God. I learned this lesson, not in a church, but at a movie studio, believe it or not. I had to figure out what my will was all about. Now, I remember, I remember a time on a band trip, and I know for some of you this gets dangerously close to once upon a time in band camp. We're not gonna, it's not going to be quite that bad. <laughs> but our, the marching band had taken a trip to Florida, and we had a party scheduled at one of the movie studios down there, I was a teenager, my memory's a little fuzzy on this, but I remember we were at one of the parks, I think it was Universal, but we're at one of the parks in a studio, and, they, and it was a big competition, and so we had this big party for everyone who's a part of this, comp, comp, this big dance party. There are two problems with Pastor Sam going to a big dance party. Number one, I really don't like to dance. I didn't then, I don't now, don't ask me, I'm not going to do it. But that wasn't even the worst of it. The, the most terrible thing is that my dad was a chaperone. I don't know how the old man ended up on this trip with us, but there he was. And my dad and I, we've never been in, I think the only other time my dad and I have ever been in a spot to dance was at our wedding. That might be it. And so everybody's dancing. I don't want to dance. And my dad is standing there and like, if I dance, he's, he's, he's going to rip me apart. And, like, and my dad, like, where do you think I learned not to dance? My dad is a bluegrass guy, not an EDM guy. But anyway. And so everyone busts out in this wonderful time, except me. I want no part of this. And so, like, I'm around the circle. Like, y'all have done high school dances. You know how this goes. Like, they're the people who are the life of the party, and the people who are the life of the party are all nodding their heads at me right now. All right, and then there's the rest of us. And I'm mortified by what other people will think. And so, but my friends, God bless their soul, they're poking me in the ribs. You know how high school friends are. And they're like, come on, Sam. And, you know, and some of them, they want to dance with me or at least bring me in the circle and all this kind of stuff. And they're poking and prodding. And eventually, because I grew up in a bluegrass family, my legs start to move. There's just something in the DNA. You can't help it. All right, the legs get going. And it kind of works its way up, right? Like all of a sudden the hips actually go like this, all right? This counts as dancing in my household. And slowly and surely I start to loosen up and I don't have much memory beyond this. I do know that at some point in the evening my hands were in the air and I think, 
I think I crowd surfed that night, but this feels like a memory I would want to block. So that feels authentic because I just wouldn't want to remember that. Just, and I remember looking across the room. My dad was wise enough to stay away from me. But I remember looking across the room and him just smiling at me. He wasn't making fun of me, although he does bring it up from time to time. He was just glad that I had this wonderful experience with my friends in a really special place. It's one of my best memories of high school. In fact, it's so joyful that it gets a little fuzzy. You know what I mean? Like you've had things that are so wonderful, you don't quite remember the details of them. Never had an evening like that that I can remember since. That's an act of the will. In worship, God and his story is made present to us in a deeply personal way and invites us not to just watch everybody at the dance, but to come be a part of the dance. God is nearer to you at this very moment than your own breath. Once you hear that beginning of the year, God is nearer to you now than your own breath. In proclamation, in prayer, in bread and wine, he's right there. And he says to us, through the words of Scripture in the book of Revelation, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will eat with that person and they with me. Worship is so simple, an act of the will to open the door. But it is a choice that we have to make ourselves to be fully and personally present to God. And when we allow worship to be the center of who we are, when we choose to worship and to give ourselves, what we discover is that the life and person of Christ becomes a fixed star like that star once was. It becomes this orienting figure within our lives. And we worship with body and soul and spirit. We find a central point to follow on this vast journey of life. That is both our purpose in life and our calendar for tomorrow. When we worship, Jesus is there guiding us towards his presence day by day. Christ grounds us in his reality and simply invites us to follow. Christ gives shape and purpose to our lives and invites all of us to Christ's message of God's redeeming love and in your life and in the world. And when we experience Christ in worship, here's the thing. We can't go home the same way. We can't go home the same way. Whatever was in the hearts of these magi, they came in wonder and awe and a sense of discovery to worship. And having sat at the bedside of the Christ child, there's no way they could go back to Herod. No way they could go back to the journalistic, academic kind of way of approaching Jesus. No, they went home rejoicing by a completely different route because they had been changed. And when they get home, they might be at home, but it's never quite home, is it? Because they've seen something so remarkable. They are forever changed. And that same experience is sitting there for us when we worship, when we choose to worship. Not just come to church, not just pray, but worship. And so we have opportunity here in the back half of our service to worship we invite you to just let yourself kind of go. Sing the song, pray the prayer, 
Invest in that silence, eat that bread, drink that wine, come in the same kind of wonder and awe, give of yourself as an act of the will and discover what way that Christ will change you and will send you home and will send you into this new year rejoicing. Amen.